Good to be with you again this morning. It's been a while, but I do recognize you. I hope you recognize me. Um, so lovely to see smiley faces and some new faces. Um, welcome if you're here for the first time. We're really delighted that you're with us. So we're, um, we're looking at the Holy Spirit. We're looking at the theme of pursuing the Holy Spirit. And um, I'd like to read to you a verse from John chapter 7 and verse 38. John 7 and verse 38. John 7, 38 says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were late to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Rivers or streams of living waters will flow from you, SVC, flow from you individuals, flow from you as families today. So my message to you and, um, and theme for you today is the outworking of the Holy Spirit in our lives, or one or two aspects of the outworking of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the first thing, or the first heading that I want to emphasize is that the Holy Spirit produces life. Amen? Loud to say amen in this place. The Holy Spirit produces life. Are you convinced? Yeah, that's it. So, it has been spoken of from this pulpit and our pulpit at, um, in Sterling that the Holy Spirit initiated the work of creation. The Holy Spirit was involved in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was involved in producing life. And the Holy Spirit came down in, um, in Pentecost. Last week did, did you spoke about the baptism of the Spirit. And, and the fullness of the Spirit, and we're going, to, we're going to continue from that. And that all happened at Pentecost, didn't it? Where the Holy Spirit came in, in power, and they went out on the streets, and they spoke different languages, and people got saved, and people went to different countries. And um, a couple of days later, they spoke, Peter spoke to a, a, a huge crowd, and 3,000 people committed their lives to Christ. I, I, w I would long to be in a crowd like that where 3,000 People make a commitment to Jesus Christ. That was the power of the Holy Spirit. And there were signs and wonders and miracles. And there are some theologians and pastors and Christians who don't believe that the Holy Spirit works in the same way as he did then, uh, now, in, in our day and age. They're called cessationists, and they don't believe in the power of God's Holy Spirit, in miracles, in tongues, in healings. And uh, in, in many of the gifts, they believe that prophecy is, is preaching. And um, there was a man called John Knox. Have you heard of a very famous uh, cessationist, John Knox, a reformer? And uh, he was in this, in this camp. And uh, his son-in-law died. And a, a Christian friend from a charismatic background came and prayed for the family. And the Christian friend felt stirred to go and pray for the dead son-in-law. And guess what? He came back to life. And that changed that man's theology very suddenly. 
You can imagine what they did for him. We lived in Switzerland for seven years, and we'd been visiting family over the years. And um, the, the church in, in Switzerland has, has degenerated, has gone down. In this, in this book that we receive as a citizen of Switzerland, as a, as, um, yeah, as, uh, as, as, as one who has lived there, we, we get this Swiss Abroad magazine every second or third month. And there's an interesting article over here uh, about God only knows what will happen to the surplus churches in Switzerland. They're closing down. They have been, they, that started in the 70s. We visited, uh, my dad's sister died, and we visited in 1983, 84, um, and uh, we wrapped up things in Switzerland, and my uncle took us to this huge church and um, magnificent building, and they kept working on the outsides and the insides, and they spent hundreds of thousands of Swiss francs every, every year just to maintain this. They had a special, it was a Swiss National Day, I think it was, so we went with him, and uh, we, we, we worshipped with the Swiss, all 20 or, or 25 of them, in this huge building. I said, where, where are the people? And he said, but look at the building. But look at the building. But, but, but look at the building. The, this, this pulpit is second century. I said, that's baloney. Where are the people? Where, where, where's the work of the Holy Spirit? And you know what? happened a hundred years ago there was a, a, a revival in Switzerland just only a hundred years ago and, and it's so tragic that they stopped believing in the Holy Spirit believing that that he was active and 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 wanted to be involved in the church and in the world they stopped preaching the gospel as a result and um, yeah, it says in the last 25 years alone 200 churches chapels and monasteries have been used for other purposes. How sad and how tragic that is. When churches turn their backs on God the Holy Spirit, they're in trouble. You see, this, the Spirit of God produces life. It, he produces life. Artie Kendall wrote a book uh, about the Holy Spirit called Holy Fire. And his successor, Greg Haslam, wrote the, the, the introduction or part of it. He was one of them. And he says this, and this is from Westminster Chapel. It's not particularly a Pentecostal church. I think they come out of a, an Anglican background. And he says this, And since, since at least the mid-60s, 1960s, God has graciously shown great favor to countless individuals and churches around the world by sending visitations of His Holy Spirit to bring personal vitality, seasons of renewal, the restoration of declining congregations. Of course, the Swiss didn't respond to that. Unfortunately and sadly, tragically, and indisputable authentic manifestations of his power to enable Christian leaders and people to duplicate in our day all the phenomena, all the phenomena we see in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. This has been the case on all continents in countless countries around the world. These have always included genuine, miraculous healings, deliverance from demonic power, accurate prophetic ministry, as well as a revived and sustained practice of the spiritual disciplines, such as scripture reading, intercessory prayer, fasting, personal evangelism, fellowship, missional advance, and church planting. I want that. I want that. 
And I want that for our churches in South Africa. And I want that for our church, SBC, life. He produces life. The baptism and the fullness of the Holy Spirit is for every single believer because it produces health and strength and growth. I was baptized in the Spirit as a 21-year-old just a few years ago, and um, I had that same response in SBC. And um, it does feel like just the other day. And it made a tremendous difference in my life. Um, it, it set me up for ministry. For, like Christ was, was, was baptized in the Spirit, was filled with the Spirit before His ministry. And, and it doesn't end there. It's not like an experience then and, wow, that's, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go for the next hundred years. No, we have to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, um, and that's where we fall short. And that's what I want to emphasize today. The second thing that I want to mention is that the Spirit produces life in us by continuous fillings of the Holy Spirit. Continuous fillings. Ephesians 5.18 Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a present continuous tense. It's ongoing. It's ongoing. It's a daily occurrence. Now, this doesn't necessarily... Um, mean that this is the baptism of the Spirit because it's an ongoing thing. But not to say that we can't be touched by the Holy Spirit. We can be touched by the Holy Spirit in worship. I was touched by the Holy Spirit in worship this morning. The Holy Spirit ministered to, 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 to me here this morning. And it's precious and, it's, and it's, it's wonderful. It's refreshing. It's invigorating. It's strengthening. And we need to come prepared to encounter the living God. We need to come prepared to encounter him on a daily basis. Did you notice that this is an imperative? This is a command, uh, not given by the elders of the church for new new believers and uh, or newcomers into the church membership. You shall be filled because we say so. No, this is God. This is God commanding us. And if God commands us to do something, it's for our good and it's for His glory. And it's not for the few. It's not for the the chosen few like deacons and elders and apostles and pastors and, and, and prophets. No, evangelists. It's for every single believer. I'm sure you know about anorexia. Anorexia is a disease which affects quite a number of people. It's a growing disease. And a lot of people um, are, are, are affected by this disease. And they think they're they, they fat, but they're not. And, and so because they think they're fat, they cut back on, on the eating. And, and because they cut back on the eating, sometimes they get to a critical level. And if they get to that critical level, then reason goes out the door. And they can't function properly, reason-wise. And, and a parent can say to a child over and over, you need to, you need to eat more, love. You, you, you need to take in more calories. You, you, you know, you're wasting away. You, you, you know, you're not going to make it if you, don't, if you don't fill that tummy. And it just bounces off. They can't respond, and they won't re respond. And 15% don't make it. And they have to be treated um, clinically to save their lives. And I wondered to myself, as, as, as God gave me this picture 
of, of, of South African Christians. I wonder to myself, how many anorexic Christians are there in our country? We're talking about spiritually anorexic Christians who are depleted, who, who are who wasted away spiritually, who are anemic, um, who, who have no life, no vitality, no thrust. There's no, there's, there's no light in their eyes. You, you speak to them and there, there's deadness in their eyes, in their, li- in their lives. And it's because they've drifted away and they've not been filled on an ongoing basis. They've not taken cognizance of this injunction to us to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they, they go after other things. To, to fulfill that, they go after alcohol, drugs, and so on, but they don't go to the Holy Spirit. And when we, don't, when we run after other things, other than the Holy Spirit, then we become emaciated, we become weak, and we become useless. We can never have enough of the Holy Spirit. We can never have enough of the Holy Spirit. And He can have, never have enough of us. And that, that, that's the, the, the meaning of being filled with the Holy Spirit, where we invite the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, to ignite our lives every day, to walk with us, at, to work wherever we are. As a housewife, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to enable us each day to live for His honor and for His glory. To be filled with this Holy Spirit is to constantly surrender our lives to Him. And that brings health and strength and vitality. Simon Ponsonby, um, he's, he's a chaplain to Oxford University students, says this verse in Ephesians 5.18, to be filled with the Spirit, is the linchpin, centerpiece of a section running from Ephesians 4.17 to 6.20. And Paul is saying that if we are to live the Christian life marked by personal holiness and a mature life, and if we are to fight and stand against demonic principalities and powers, then we can only do so if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And not a once-off thing. Not just a once-off thing. Thirdly, the Spirit initiates the work of sanctification in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11 says, You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by the Spirit of God. And this is what Joey was preaching into a couple of weeks ago. 1 Peter 1 and verse 2, We have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God our Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Christ. You were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? God did it, initiated it, and he continues it. What is this word sanctify, sanctification? We're set apart and we're made holy. We're set apart from our old life and our old master to a new life and to our new master on a daily basis. That's an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. First of all, there are three stages here. And first of all, there's a definite beginning. If you haven't had that beginning, you can have that beginning today. It can begin today. Christ can come into your life and change your life. 
The Holy Spirit enables us to have spiritual life, to be able to be born again into the spiritual realm. And we are brought out of the kingdom of darkness into his glorious kingdom. Colossians 1 and verse 13 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Glorious. He has rescued us. He snatched us out of the kingdom of darkness. And we are no longer slaves to that. That's why Romans six eleven says, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. We don't have to go back there again and again and again and again. Dead to sin, alive to Christ. There are sex slaves around the world. They've been snatched away from their families and sometimes even families have given them up in poverty to provide money for the family. That's so tragic. And, and, and you can imagine someone coming and liberating that 13-year-old who is ha- having to walk the streets on a daily basis they snatched out of that life. They don't have to go back there again and again. They might wake up in the morning and say, oh, I've got to go. No, I'm under new management. They'll be forever grateful to that liberator, will they not? But it doesn't begin and end there. It, it continues. Sanctification continues throughout our lives. In Philippians 1 and verse 6, it says, He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's amazing. He will bring it to completion. Not he might or probably could. He will. He will. A baby was recently abandoned in a drain. You saw that. And the, and the baby was found after a couple of days. baby was still alive. Can you imagine a mother doing that to a baby? It must be out of your mind. God has initiated us into his family. We are made the children of God, right? And he will never abandon us. He will never leave us or forsake us. He will always continue that work of nurturing, growing, developing, equipping us. And we will always be grateful to God for that. Many, many Christians are fearful that they, they will lose their salvation. We have to walk in the fear of God, yes. But we will never lose our salvation on the strength of his word. He will bring it to completion. That's his promise to us. We need to walk faithfully with him throughout our lives, declaring that he is our king, declaring that he is our God. We need to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit, and God will do the rest. He saves us from something or out of something, and he saves us into something. He makes us into something. So we're not just saved out of a vacuum and into a vacuum. We're saved out of a horrible existence and into something that is precious and glorious um, and all-powerful. So we had missionaries when I was a missionary in Switzerland. We had missionaries from New Zealand who were working in, uh, in India. And their, their whole thrust is to help those who have escaped uh, sex slavery. And they, they house them, feed them. They, they feed them the word of God. They teach them a skill uh, because many of these are s- s- uh, brought uh, away from families uh, as young children or early teenagers, mm-hmm. and, and they're, not, they're not trained, they're not skilled. So um, they come out of that. So what are they going to do then? They've got nothing to fall back on. And so 
a wonderful mission to train them into something that they can go into and be productive. They take them out of that city uh, into a far, far away place so that they can't be snatched back again. Doing an amazing work of introducing them to Christ. And this is a picture of the work of sanctification in our lives. It brings us out of something horrible and it brings us into something glorious for time and for eternity. It's an ongoing progressive work of sanctification in our lives by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, We are being changed, transformed, says the NIV, into his likeness with ever-increasing glory from one degree of glory to another, which comes from the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does this work of transformation in our lives, and it's wonderful. I, t- I, told, I don't know if I told you uh, a quick interlude. didn't mean to say this, but, but I, I was asked to give a testimony when, when I was on a team in, 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 um, in Durban, and all the six pastors were asked to give a, a three-minute testimony. And I just gave a very, very short testimony. And one of our elders, who was an ex-CEO of a company, said, Pierre, I enjoyed your testimony, but I don't believe a word of it. It's like, I laughed. Yeah, that was my... He said, I don't, I don't. I said, what are you saying, Bill? He said, well, look, I know you. And at first I was really upset. And then I, you know, then I went away and said, Lord, what was that about? And the Lord said, don't worry. He's seeing my work of grace in you over the years. He can't relate that to what you were like. Just as well we didn't tell him the other half. Whoa! <laughs> Gee, I would have blown his socks away. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to conform us to the likeness and the image of Jesus, right? And it's an ongoing work of grace. And Jesus is our role model. Victor Culligan says that the primary agent of sanctification is God the Spirit. An imperfect creature cannot make himself holy or perfect. It must be perfected by the perfect being. In this sense, sanctification is a passive activity. Although God God is the primary agent of of sanctification, we have a vital role to play, right? The roles are not, not the same. And the work is not the same. We can't, we can't do God's work, can we? But we can do our part. But if we don't do our part, then God can't do his part. He's stymied. And that's why there are so many anemic Christians today. So the third and the final stage is that stage of sanctification where we go to glory. And we're in God's presence. And we're perfect. I'm looking forward to that. There are some here who are closer than others to that point. Uh, And when Christ comes back again, then he's going to rejuvenate us and give us our new spiritual bodies as well. That perfect state. It's all of God, but it's also a response on our part. So what is our role, fourthly, in sanctification? Many Christians look for quick fixes, don't they? Look, the pastor, just just pray over me, you know, that this thing will go away, disappear, I'll, I'll be made holy. No, there aren't any quick fixes. There are no gimmicks. And, and why do they do that? Because they don't have the stomach for discipline, for, for obedience, for persistence and per- perseverance. 
It takes a lifetime of discipline in God to become like Jesus. Of bringing ourselves by the collar and saying, yes, you don't feel like praying, but you're going to pray. You're going to pray. You're going to, you're going to read your word. I press on. Just listen to the eyes. Paul says, I press on towards the girl to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.14. He also says, I, I beat my body and make it my slave. 1 Corinthians 9.27. I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race. Some of us are, are getting to the end of, the, of our race. And, and when we come to that point, it will be good for us to say, I have finished the race. I fought the good fight. He said to young Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith. Maybe there are some youngsters here, and he says to you today, fight the good fight of faith. You fight. You fight in my strength. But we've got to fight. That's what the word says. We've got to play our part. And then God does his part. Philippians, um, no, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. In Philippians 2, 12 and 13, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do you notice the double emphasis here? You work it out because God is working it in. He started the work, right? We can never start the work. We can never even come towards salvation. It's only God by his Holy Spirit that brings us, gives us a desire after God. But we've got to work it out. What God has worked in, we have to work it out. It's important for us to work on this on a daily basis. Not from Sunday to Sunday, but on a daily basis. Every day I have to say, God, I'm yours. Come, Holy Spirit. I submit myself to you. Come and fill me. Fill every area. My, my intellect, my desires, my goals, my work, my family life. Come, Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 and verses 7 and 8, train yourself, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Did you hear the word train yourself? Train yourself? Some people have a personal trainer, and they rely on that personal trainer to, to help them. Now, we've got God by our side, right? Alongside us, the Holy Spirit in us. But he says, train yourself. So bring yourself to the gym. Bring yourself to the Word. Bring yourself to church on a regular basis. Bring yourself to the place of blessing. We've all played sport at school, right? And we know what it means to, to, to be fit. We know what it means to keep fit. We know what uh, it takes, right? It takes a lot of wo hard work. So can you, can you imagine, you know, working at it for a month and then going three months AWOL? And you come back, and the older you, you are, Pete, the harder it is to get back in it if you've had injury, if you've had sickness. So we keep, we keep working at it. And, and we've got to keep working at it if we want to be physically fit. We've got to keep working at it if we want to be spiritually fit. There's something to be done. There's an activity. And, and, and it says here, physical training has, has some value. It has some value. I, I heard preachers in the past saying, it's, like, it's got no value. It's got very little value. 
It's got, it's got a lot of value. Of course it has, because we're body, mind, and spirit. And everything affects one, the other. And so we owe it to God to look after our bodies. That's part of sanctification. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 says that the Spirit of God resides within us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to watch what we eat, what we drink, how we sleep, and how active we are on a daily basis. I believe God wants us to be active on a daily basis, physically and spiritually. Unfortunately, many Christians go after the physical well-being. You know, they go gone-ho on physical fitness, but spiritual fitness, you know, no, I'm, I'm running this race and I'm doing that, you know, cycle and I'm, I'm doing that doozy thing and they're never in church. It's like, where are they? They're out-and-out Christians, very far out, <laughs> far away. And we need to focus on spiritual things and make them the main thing. Spiritual training requires hard work. Consistency, honesty, willingness to change, willingness to confess sinful attitudes, habits, and behaviors. Are we up for it? Are we up for it? We're soldiers of Christ, are we not? And sometimes we act like we're at a tea party. You know, we're having a jaw. You know, like as Christians, like I heard a, I heard a pastor saying, you know, the Christian life is a, is a jaw, is a, is, a, is a party. Rubbish. We're in a fight. We're in a spiritual Fight. It's a warfare. The Holy Spirit gives us all the support and enablement so that it is possible for us to be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord and to cope with whatever we're facing. What are some of the other aids to, to help us in, um, in our quest for sanctification to become like Christ? Bible reading. It's so important. It's so important. The people that I counsel, uh, again and again, they say, I say, are you reading regularly? Um, no, not really. How often? Um, are you praying? Um, are you going to church regularly? Um, it's like, that's why you're spiritually sick. Pray. Small group fellowships, vital. If you're not in one, get into one. Do yourself a favor. It'll bless you enormously. Sunday meetings, be regular, except for exceptional circumstances. Friends, Christian friends are important. What about mentors? What about fasting as a discipline on your, on your own? What about your spouse? So many Christians that come to my office and say, man, you know, if you live like a wife like mine, or a husband like mine, you know, why did God give me this woman? Why, why did God give me that man? Because iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. <laughs> a 14-year-old said to his mom after I spoke this last week, and said, why do you and dad fight so much? I heard Uncle Pierce say, iron, iron sharpens iron. And uh, this was a cell group leader. And, um, <laughs> and she was very honest and open. <laughs> and said, no, we do have our differences sometime. And it's okay to have differences and to talk them out, to talk them through. But of course, if, we, if we're killing each other, then, then it's a different matter. The Holy Spirit is our aid. Asking for a supernatural ability, uh, Ephesians, uh, Galatians 5.22. 
fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Are we exhibiting those things? Are we showing it? Are we demonstrating it to a lost world? Do they see us as different or just the same as, as anybody else? When they see us different, they will come. They will come to this place. They will say, I want, I want to come to this place to see what you guys are like. Always thought you were crazy guys. But I see that there's, there's this peace and joy and there's this fulfillment in your life. So when reading the Bible daily, uh, how do we get maximum use out of it? Is there, uh, is there sin to confess in the passage that we're reading? Ask yourself. Write these things down so that you can, you can do them each time you read. We need to grapple with the Word of God, right? Is there a promise to, to claim? Is there an attitude to change? Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow? Is there a prayer to pray? An error to avoid? A truth to believe? Is there something to praise God for? Those are vital questions to grapple with the Word of God because so often we can read a chapter, you know, we can even read a chapter from the old and the new and, and really not grapple with the Word of God, not really come to, to grips with what is God saying to me? How's God encouraging me? How's He stimulating me? What does He want me to change in my life? So many people say, I don't know how to pray. I don't really pray that much. I can only pray for a few minutes. Well, that passage of Scripture gives you, gives you things to pray about. So how does the Holy fifthly, how does the Holy Spirit promote our sanctification? Well, we've said a few things already. How, how else? Through trials. You, you've only to read the Scriptures to see how, how people went through a whole lot of issues, you know. God, how can you do this to me? Joseph might have been tempted to say to God. But God brought him through all of those to that, that point that he wanted to place him as second in command in, in Egypt. James chapter 2 and verse 4, a verse that I skirted in my early Christianity. Consider it pure joy. Yeah, that's how I used to read it. But now, pure joy, my brothers, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So he uses trials. He also uses discipline. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 5 to 12, you read it on your own, especially verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Right? Who of you are parents, but don't discipline your children? Don't do that. I mean, I taught, and you could see where, where kids are not disciplined. They're lunatics. They're, they're hooligans. And we produce wonderful grown-ups when we discipline them, right? Sometimes we feel more anger than they do, but it's for their good. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. It's not insignificant that is called the Holy Spirit. And so when we're going through an Aino time, don't, don't say, God, no, just take this away. What are you doing? What, what, you know, don't you love me anymore? No, God is at work in our lives. And he wants us to say, God, teach me lessons through this. Help me to understand what you're doing 
in my life at this time. So lastly, what should motivate us to live in the fullness of the Spirit? A desire to please God. Mark yourself out of ten. Secondly, a desire to have a clear conscience before God. Do we come and worship Him with a, a clear conscience? Or do we just sit there and like we mumble the words because we, we don't have a clear conscience? We haven't confessed sin. We can not have peace and joy if we do not have a clear conscience. Thirdly, a desire to see unbelievers come to Christ through our example. So important, we've touched on it. Four, a desire to receive God's blessing on our lives and our ministries. Who doesn't want to be blessed by God? Put up your hand. We want more of God's blessing, but we've got to do it His way. We've got to go His way. Who, uh, five, a desire for a deeper walk of God. Six, a desire to have heavenly rewards. Seven, a desire to be richly used in our church. Come back to my illustration with the Swiss church and uh, Haslam's commitment uh, um, um, talking about or, or writing about the Holy Spirit's move, the movement of the Spirit from the 1960s, 1970s. We want that. We want the fullness of the Spirit in our hearts and our lives. And the degree to which I'm hungering after God will satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts, will reflect His glory. And I, I totally agree with, with um, what you say, that we're not to go for a name. We're not to go for an experience. But we need to go expectant to meet with the living God. If we don't go expecting to meet with the living God, we may as well stay at home. He will meet with us. He will meet with us. In fact, He will meet with us today. And if you want prayer today, we're here to pray with you. And if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, why don't you come and allow Him to become your King, your Savior, your Lord? If life is a drag, if life is terrible for you, it doesn't have to be. It can change today with Christ as your Savior. To as many as received Christ, to them gave He the power to become the children of God. Just sense that there are some here today and God's worked in your heart and He's preparing you for that work of sanctification, that work of salvation in, in your life. Don't put it off. The sooner you do it, the better. Amen. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word to us. We do pray that you would help us to be filled with your spirit and to be constantly hungering for more of you, for more of your spirit, to become more like Jesus, to reflect more of your glory. Come and do that work of grace that only you can do in our hearts. And for, for, the, for the person or persons who do not know Jesus, we pray that you would spur them on to come and commit their lives to Christ today in Jesus' name. Amen.